This week's episode is brought to you by $6shirts.com. Hey all you skinned cats and kittens, welcome back to Week in Horror May 10th through May 16th. Thank you all so much for joining us, I am JL, and with me today are Eugene and Alex. What's up everybody? Hey, what's going on? So, we'd like to thank $6shirts.com for sponsoring this episode. They have an amazing selection of horror-themed shirts available as low as $6 per tee, or 10 for 50 or check out the clearance section for even cheaper items. With stylized tees, tanks, hoodies, and sweatshirts featuring Friday the 13th, Silence of the Lambs, Evil Dead, Alien, all your favorite horror films are here. Check them out at 6, that's the number 6, dollarshirts.com. Alright. Wow, yeah. That was our first, that's our first sponsorship. Can you believe that shit? Ooh, we did it! <laughs> we made it, big time! My Send mind is us shit to yes. do shit. <laughs> Exchange of goods and services, thank you very much. <laughs> I do like this. This is kind of a milestone for us. I love it. And, and you know, we, we can thank the quarantine because I have the time to sit on my ass and actually send out email stuff <laughs> looking not a for things thing. like this. So thank you, COVID-19, for affording me affording me the time to catch people while they're at work, while, while they're stuck at home and send them emails that they'll respond to. Silver so. fucking linings, man. <laughs> All yeah, right. that's pretty cool. Uh, hey, um, <laughs> speaking of quarantine, how y'all doing? You guys hanging in there? Dodging the murder hornets. It's <laughs> murder hornets. Welcome to level five of Jumanji. I mean, you know, this one this one actually scares me a lot. Okay, the one thing that will take the edge off. There is a video going around on Facebook of a of a murder of a murder hornet, the 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 Japanese giant hornet going up against a praying mantis. And that praying mantis whooped the fucking shit out of this thing. Okay, that's good cuz we got a shitload of praying mantises down here in Texas. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So, so give it up for the give it up for the praying mantis. Do not fuck with the praying mantis. Those things are insane, because man. I saw this murder. I saw I saw that video of that murder hornet killing that mouse, like stinging a mouse to death. It was like that's damn, terrifying. Nothing, I was like, damn, nothing can stop these things. And I saw that goddamn praying mantis was like, what? <laughs> he pinned that some bitch and ate his fucking head clean off. <laughs> it was like. It was like, oh, thank God, thank God, the praying mantis. I've seen them eat lizards. I've seen them eat small, small mammals. If they get big enough, these things will eat anything. So, yay, <laughs> we have the praying mantis to protect us from this next wave of the apocalypse. That's good because I've seen the YouTube videos where that one guy's like going around looking for insects on the sting index. <laughs> the uh, uh, Coyote the, Peterson. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. The uh, the 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 Schmidt the Schmidt pain index. Yeah, the Smith. <laughs> yeah, fucking shit. Okay. okay, I gotta give I give our listeners a little bit of, a little bit of okay science lesson time on Week in Horror. So <laughs> science there was, a, there, was a, there was an entomologist. I can't remember his first name. His name was Doctor Schmidt, and Doctor Schmidt decided that he wanted to create an index of pain regarding stings of various insects. So he went all around the world and allowed himself to be stung by some of the most wicked insects that he could find and he developed an index of pain of what would be the worst and he everything from bitten by centipedes stung by bumblebees st- you know bit, pretty much stung by anything and the number one on that list is the south american bullet ant which apparently feels like being shot when you get bit 
uh, when you get stuck. Yeah, because exactly that's things. fucking yeah. great. Right. And then this, the second a close one behind that is the Southeastern Tarantula Wasp. Is the San- Southeastern Tarantula Wasp. Or tarantula the Tarantula Hawk. hawk. The tarantula hawk, yeah, yeah, those fuckers is, that fly around down here, exactly. And apparently that that feels very similar, but it's not as long lasting as the bullet ant. Well, apparently okay. the, <laughs> the the giant hornet. What is the giant hornet at? Oh, I have no idea. I, it I was don't know. Like one of the top on his things, though. <laughs> <laughs> I I sat and watched like all those. I don't remember where it, it ranked because he did so many, and I watched them way out of order. But like. It didn't. It didn't look good. <laughs> like he was on the ground screaming. <laughs> you know, to be fair, that's like every episode, though. <laughs> yeah, but he's getting. He's doing the bullet ants and the fucking tarantula hawks too. You want to know what my first experience moving to Texas was? I moved to Texas, I guess, in 2012. So almost eight years ago. Coming up here in a couple months. The first thing I see when I moved to Texas, well, first of all, we drove from Minnesota. So we drove through Oklahoma and Oklahoma was on fire. And we're like, well, what the fuck? And so then we get to Texas, it's 114 degrees. And one of the first things I see is one of these tarantula hawks, which is this black or blackish blue, like iridescent wasp that has like orange wings, literally dragging a dead or I guess an unconscious tarantula back to its lair. So I just see this fucking hornet <laughs> dragging a tarantula. And I'm like, where the fuck am I? Welcome <laughs> what, to Texas. <laughs> what the fuck did I get into? And then Welcome these wolf spiders, because the house that we moved into was like open into like this little garage thing. And so like we moved in and the wolf spiders started moving out. And these things were like, I'm not kidding you, like bigger than my child's like whole hand. It, the legs, I, they're fucking insane. I was like, what the hell? So, yeah, we've got those murder hornets already down here. And apparently they're stupid venomous. I remember that back in Scouts, uh, when I first moved here to Texas, was the cow killer ant. Yeah, that's still, oh, I got stung yeah. by one of those fucking but things. But the, uh, the cow killer is actually a wing. The, the, it's actually, if you see them crawling around, they're like a big red fuzzy looking ant. Yeah. In actuality, that's a female of the species and it's a wingless wasp. Because yeah, the males have wings. The males have wings and they don't sting. But the females do, and that is really, really painful. That's a really bad one. Oh, yeah, no. And then the second thing that I did after I saw that was go stand by the pool in the backyard in flip-flops, which I didn't know was, like, not okay when you're standing in any open grassy area in Texas. And I, like, oh, no. got an itch on my foot, and I looked down, and I'm not kidding you, probably 50 ants on my feet, and they just all started biting. And it was, like, the worst three days have an unpack and a hundred degree heat with these fucking blisters all over my feet from fire ants. I'm like, why, what are we doing here? <laughs> what did we do? So yeah, that's Texas. I don't know. I don't know. I guess that makes me feel better about the murder hornets. I don't think they're going to fuck around with anything down here. Oh, that's what they have. That's how they describe it. Life changing. Pray for death pain. Life changing. Yeah. Pray for death. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that pretty much sums up that little monstrosity. Thank yeah. Anyways, for, uh, that's May. That's May in a nutshell so far. Thank you to the thank you to the asshole who uh, brought those over. We are now cursing you, just as Australians curse the cane toad. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I can't wait to see what June brings. <laughs> June brings my fucking thirtieth birthday. My wedding and my birthday have both been canceled due to fucking COVID this year. My thirtieth birthday and my fucking wedding, and I'm pissed. Your thirtieth birthday. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs>
I turned. Did I just get young weeks. shamed? I turned forty in a couple weeks. <laughs> okay, <God>. boomer. <laughs> I love how I'm perfectly in between both of y'all too. I'm like five years in the middle. I feel so bad because according to to Ilda Schlesinger, um, Schlesinger, I am an elder millennial. Is technically I guess what I am. I'm technically a millennial as well. I'd rather be that than any of the other ones. No offense to any Gen X, Gen Z, I Gen. What's total the other respect one? for the total, total respect <laughs> for the Gen X. Hey, yeah, go do your thing. We're just different different times, man. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we have endured all kinds of uh, nastiness here, and uh, of course, the murder hornets uh, show up right as the doors open and people are starting to reopen businesses. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Texas is spiking uh, because we haven't <laughs> repeatedly, yet, so we're uh, we're opening up. So we don't know what's going to happen. These are, as they say in the news, uncertain times. So we say, fuck these uncertain times. Uh, you're listening to us, and we talk about horror movies on this motherfucker. So Eugene sure is going to kick us off this week. What do we have up first to distract us from the bullshit outside? So we have this bullshit movie. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, ouch. <laughs> no, it's like, ouch. no, I just wanted to say, no, this is actually, it's actually a fantastic movie. Oh, uh, bloody. <laughs> Romero just rolled over in his grave. Dude. I know. He's going to haunt me now tonight. <laughs> he is. He's going to haunt me. <laughs> so we actually have released May 10th, 1978, and is the movie Martin. And it's directed by George A. Romero, and it stars John Applace, uh, Elaine Nadu, and Tom Savini. And basically what it is, is John plays Martin, who is somebody who's convinced that he is a vampire. So what he does is he sedates women and uses razor blades to cut their wrists and drink their blood. And after doing this a couple of times, like starting off like on a train, uh, he actually starts to fall. He basically starts falling for a housewife uh, next door. <laughs> so there's lots of killing and so much love. Yeah. <laughs> George, this is actually George like Romero. thinking about it now. This was a bloody week. It really is. Yes, it, it actually is. You, you, going through, going through what we're going to be covering. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty fucking bloody. And this one uses like it's bloody. You know, it's it's a vampire story, so it's like romantic and. But then the next one we talk about isn't so romantic. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, Tom Savini's in this one, as he is in most George A. Romero stuff. I really, so, dug, I, I really dug it because obviously, you know, um, Savini had been doing work on his own, and you know, brought his experiences from Vietnam, from from the Vietnam War, brought him over and became which one of you know one of the top special effects guys out there, and or practical effects guys out there at the time. Then of course Romero, you know, Night of the Living Dead. And so on, but uh, you know, this is the first this is the first time we got to see them work together. Like to see the two powerhouses come together. Yeah, yeah. I was just I was looking into some uh, stuff that they had done together because you know they had been pretty much together after this. There was the uh, incredibly strange film show. Did you ever see this? That I can honestly say I did. No, not see. I've never heard of it. Okay, it's it's like a um, uh, it's a TV show that goes over. Stuff in the like in the past. So whatever. Long story short, um, uh, they did an episode with George Romero and Tom Savini, and it like it interviews like B movie makers, 
And so they like go through and they they talk to, to, uh, talk about all the stuff they had done together. But yeah, talking about uh, Martin um, and then Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Uh, and then they talk about like Night of the Living Dead. But going into like Savini and his career, I was trying to think of the other movie. What's it called? Maniac, I think it was what, what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maniac. He was and he worked on that one just because he was doing effects. But yeah, he yeah, yeah. Got, he actually got a role. He got a part in the movie. Because uh, he actually had a plaster head, he actually, or yeah, whatever they made the head of, he actually had a fake <laughs> yeah, they were head talking about that of, of him. They had a fake head of himself, and so they were like, "Well, we need another fake head." Well, I've got this one, I've got but this it looks one. like me. And they were like, "Okay, fuck it, you get to be in the movie." And he was like, "Sweet, oh yeah." <laughs> he was like, "I knew one day this will pay off." <laughs> and then, like, he gets, and then he's <laughs> they the told one, me I was he's crazy. The one, he's the one who jumped up on the hood of the car and shot his shot his own head. In the face with a real <laughs> shotgun. So, <laughs> you know how much fucking... Fun. That's why that scene is so good. is because it's like, fuck yeah, I get to shoot myself in the face. <laughs> you shoot myself in the face. Look, it's me. He's the one that jumps over the head. If you look really closely, you can tell. You can you can tell it's him. It's not... Uh, I can't, oh, Lord, the, the, the name of the actor escapes me. Uh, the lead actor in that. Um, oh, God, oh, I can't Lord. remember his name. Someone's gonna get mad at me. Oh no! Before the angry comments start. <laughs> I'm so I feel like such an idiot. I can't remember that. I can't remember that lead actor's name. How can I not remember the lead actor's name from fucking Maniac, 1981? Are, are you like or stalling it... while you're looking into it? No, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I can't believe. Uh, I don't fucking Joe I Spinal. Can't. Joe, uh, uh, I think it's Joe Spinell. Yeah, Joe Spinell. That's it. <laughs> yes, Joe Spinell. Joe Spinell. I like Joe that. Joe Spinell. <laughs> Joe Spinell. That's more eighties. <laughs> yes. But yeah, but so yes. they had they had what George Romero and Tom Savini on the show. It's awesome. Check it out. It's I think it's uh, season two, episode six of the incredibly f- strange film show. I think the two of them working together is really really cool. I mean, obviously, two guys of the same mind. Uh, Romero has a you know you, Romero's unique style, but I think what lends itself to why they work so well together, and it was crazy because you mentioned that you know Romero like king of the B films of like B horror, yeah. And unfortunately, it's such a shame because he's a he's an extraordinarily talented director, but he never from uh, you know there was he I think he did like one studio film in his entire career, and the reason he didn't like to do studio films is because he liked to keep his but he liked to keep his budgets under a hundred thousand dollars and with studio films you can get way beyond that so yeah. he would get a budget and he'd be like hey your budget's 250 grand quarter million dollars he'd be like what? no hundred thousand i can do this for a hundred thousand dollars and studios would be like okay look dude You've got it. You've got to. You have the money. You have the resources. You have. You can go. It's like no, no, no. I have my vision. I'm done. And apparently, this caused a lot of problems. You know, when he was shooting larger films, so he liked to keep his budget under hundred grand. And when you do that, and you have someone like Savini who came up in the kind of like the B side of that, who can keep his costs down with his work and it still be effective on camera, the two of them just go together. It's just absolutely. It's just you know, match made in heaven, which is why works. you get really cool stuff like uh, like Dawn of the Dead. You know, I wonder why that is, too, because if you ask any filmmaker and they're like, you know, we'll actually give you more money towards a project. They're going to be like, yeah, absolutely. Two hundred and fifty grand. That's awesome for it. Instead of like, nope, nope, I, I cap at a hundred, but you have two hundred and fifty. Nope, I just want a hundred. Nope, I'll send it back. 
That's all I want. Just a hundred. I, I mean, that's <laughs> if you can get your idea out there for that buck, you know, what, why are you spending the more, you know, why spend the extra budget? Save it. I mean, I guess so. Make if another that, one. If that was I, the look, if he It works for like, them. Yeah, it worked. If he likes the look of the B film, which I'm not saying that look is bad by any means. There are many great B quality films that are fantastic. Some of my favorite films that I love. Maybe that's just the style he liked. It's possible. I mean, I, it, it may come from a from a from a business standpoint. If you're able to keep your budget down to that to that extent, then you maximize your ability. If you're going to be making any profits whatsoever, you maximize the opportunity to get money back in order to put it into your next film. And once you've gone long enough, keeping your budget low, it may have been a habit that he didn't like to get out of. And you know, like me, I, I have to I, I would have to agree with him if this were the truth. If once you get up into the quarter million, half a million, million dollar films, a lot of politics gets involved. That's true. And when you keep your budgets low, you can minimize the political influence because low budget movies typically are not seen as ones that can work. Night of the Living Night of the Living Dead was shot on a shoestring budget and it and it landed hard. So it was like boom and it was out of the gate. So and that was his project, his baby. He could keep it all in house. So I can see the kind of wanting to avoid studio bullshit by keeping his budget low. Because the more money you get in, the more hands are going to be trying to reach into the pot and trying to, you know, give their own fucking input, make me an executive producer bullshit. And I, I can see, you know, for, uh, from the scant times I met George, I, he didn't take me as a guy. He, he was a lovable dude, totally affable. Open to anybody who talking to me, but he didn't. He didn't strike me as a guy who suffered fools. Is that when it's business time? It's business time. It's time to work. So he was a professional, and I guess you know too many egos floating around the camera just probably <laughs> start bumping into each other. Yeah, yeah, just probably exactly. Just pissed him off. It's, it's more distracting from this. He was a storyteller. It's it's too distracting, and that's why I like. I think he works well with Savini because Savini is very much the same way. And Savino's very much, let's get it done, let's go. He's all about preparation and being prepared and having everything you need and going above and beyond. So when Savini shows up to do the effects on your on your movie, he's already had the script for a while. He's made dozens of things that he that can be used throughout. He's made extra in case you come up with ideas alongside. And he'll even come up with his own shit. And he'll come and say, hey, I got this idea. He won't just go to the director. And there's tales of plenty of Savini going. He'll, he'll go to the director. He'll pitch an idea. He's like, I think we could do this. And he'll have the, the shit made so he can demonstrate it. And go and try to, you know, let and me show like, this you. will look. Yeah, let me show you what it'll look like. And then the director go, oh, I can see it. I can, I can visualize awesome. it now because I see it. And then you're off and running. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha, bitch. <laughs> And it, it, that's one of the reasons why he's worked so long in the industry, because when you are that professional, that prepared, and clearly they have the same work ethic going with George and Tom Savini working together, you're prepared, you know exactly what you want, you know exactly what you're getting, and basically all you do on set is you just shoot it. Yeah. That's it. Similar minds. I think, he, I think he'd be, he would have been a lot of fun to work with. Just as an, as as an actor, or even even to work as crew on his set, I think it would have been a lot of fun. Just just seeing the inventive shit that he could come up with, yeah. <laughs> see, I think it would just be badass. Just see, or maybe seeing him like because sometimes you'll get you'll catch that moment where the director will get an idea that didn't come up in pre production. You like, oh my god, we should do this, and then you see seeing stuff like that. I think it would be a blast. Oh. He had such a Romero had such insight 
into not just obviously the visual, the, the gruesome gore and, you know, of his films, but also he had the insight into satire and insight into, I think, the human condition, which is why I loved Martin so much. It's one of his best. I think he, he said in an interview he considers Martin his best film. And I think what resonated, or and this, and this may have also put some fans off, because was the notion that he he was playing with monsters, universal ubiquitous monsters, the werewolf, the vampire, the zombie, the the oh, the Frankenstein's monster, uh, the, all of these things. He's made them. He was playing with the idea that they were extensions of the human condition. That. There's no such thing as a vampire vampire, but the concept of that, someone who preys upon the life essence of a, of a human being, you know, to its extreme, is vampiric. And that, you know, it's just an extension of us. I thought that was brilliant, especially for 1978. Fuck, that was some brilliant shit. <laughs> that was right around the time Acid came out, right? <laughs> <laughs> just wondering. Little did we know he was best friends with Timothy Leary. <laughs> But I absolutely I loved it, man. The Godfather of the Dead had some amazing ideas when it came. I mean, the the, the satirical notes. Obviously, nineteen sixty eight, Night of the Living Dead. He knocked he knocked racism on its ass. Okay, straight Hell yeah. up. And then uh, Dawn of the Dead. He knocked consumerism on its ass. The whole movie is a fucking satire of consumerism. And then Land of the Dead, classism. I mean, he swings for the fences every time, but he does it in such a minute way and then gives everybody the gore to kind of stomach the bitter pill that they're swallowing. And he did it in this. And I think because it was the, there was so much blood spectacle in it. Mm-hmm. All right. And, you know, and, you know, and of course, some, some some silly thing, you know, when his fucking fake teeth are coming out and shit, this shit, I'm sorry, I laughed when that <laughs> happened. I was like, because it looked kind of goofy. But it was 1978. But the storyline was moving. Because Romero had a grasp of that, he saw he he saw his genre from a perspective that I think few directors did at the time, which is why he's been such an inspiration. Yeah, that's why he's been kind of at the forefront. Because he even started off with just the opening the opening kill on the train, how it's actually drawn out. It's drawn out. It's uncomfortable. And he goes and stabs her with the needle, and a lot of times with films today, it's like, oh, this is sedative, and then like knock out like within seconds. But this actually goes on for a while before you even get the title card. It's like ten minutes into the movie before like the, even the title card comes up for it, and it just really it showcases the mental condition. It showcases the monster that he is, but from his perspective. Yeah. You know what? It, you know what it gave me kind of hints of What's the remake of Maniac with Elijah Wood. <laughs> there, and uh, it just it, I got vibes from that. Seeing it, uh, well, well, I know that one was from the POV of the killer, but I got the same vibes. Experiencing the carnage through their perspective, and obviously the the remake of Maniac took it a step further because that really put you in the shoes. Of a homicidal maniac, and that was that. That uh, the film was so fucking brutal. And that film actually made me uncomfortable because I didn't realize. <laughs> I was like, because you really feel like you're there, and once you get sucked in, you're just there. But it was Martin's humanity 
that got me. Which, you know, goes to show the, the importance of casting in situations like this. Because you could have a brilliant idea. You could see something that no one else has done and take the risk that you can tell the story. But if you don't have the actor that can pull that off and his ability to emote was I, – I, I found that pretty damn impressive. It was very impressive. And I think it's one of his first roles too. Uh, John, the main character. Yeah, I think so. I was doing some research and I found out that uh, the Martin was actually supposed to be like a full-grown, like fully matured vampire um, until they met John. And then they kind of changed like the the whole character in the script to kind of fit um, uh, Amplis instead. Yeah, so it was supposed to be like a fully matured version of Martin instead of being like a younger... Well, that goes to show, as far as casting, you have the right guy come along, and that right, that correct actor could give you ideas that you didn't think of beforehand. That's why. Yeah, I it was okay. So it was supposed to. I'm sorry, I just found it again. It was supposed to be um, an established vampire struggling to live in a modern world, and then uh, they rewrote the character with Amplis in mind. It, it works because he comes across as just an average guy that you would walk past. In a subway, not look twice. Like he's just an he's and then he fucking guy. kills you, and then he kills you. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome, and of course, this uh, this is another film that got a that earned its you know earned its prestigious place on the video nasty list. Although they were not prosecuted for the uh, for violating the Obscenities Act, it was seized, seized and confiscated in the United Kingdom over violations of the Obscene Publications Act of nineteen fifty nine. So. Dubious honor, to be sure, but an awesome one as well. Martin, uh, George Romero <laughs> Rebel without a cause. Confis- he got a film confiscated by the censor. <laughs> Good job. Good job. I know it was on his list. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this is – we talked about earlier with George A. Romero and Tom Savini coming together. And when director and actors come together and they have that chemistry and they keep working, you see it all the time with – Many directors would like to use the same actors again. I actually want to ask the audience. We've asked the audience a bunch of George A. Romero questions and your favorites and all that other kind of stuff. But actually, what I want to ask the audience is, what is your favorite Tom Savini? Because he's done a lot of stuff with J- George A. Romero. But he's also done some stuff with Robert Rodriguez and some others. What is your favorite Tom Savini? You know, I got to say, from Dusk Till Dawn. That was probably my go-to. Yeah. <laughs> I liked him both as the effects artist in that and uh, and in the role he played. Because he, <laughs> what, was, what was his fucking dude? Oh, shit. I just remember the fucking, the, the cock holster. Or the cock gun. <laughs> I just I remember that. <laughs> um, dude, his name was so fucking stupid to that. Where's the hell? hell is, this is what quarantine does to you kids. You sit around and you don't get to socially interact with people. And I pretty much just bounce from apartment to apartment, fixing apartments. Um, I start to lose shit, and <laughs> it makes me. I can just see fucking Jared walking around, just blank look on his face, just knowledge just falling out of his head. It is. It is. I don't get because normally I'm around my friends. I get to talk about this. I get to stay fresh. That's, That's like, how like, you retain it. You talk about it a lot. I do. I talk about it a lot. But uh, sex machine, yeah, sex machine, motherfucker's <laughs> name, sex machine. Yeah, man, I'm starting to lose sex machine. 
Jesus. <laughs> I'm waiting for the sponsorship to sc- kind of scrub through our podcast, and they just click on Sex Machine. That's it. <laughs> They'd be like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I really I really love From Dust Till Dawn. Uh, obviously, Tarantino and Clooney. I thought they had really good chemistry together, surprisingly, because... I guess it was the early years. Tarantino, I hear, just doesn't get along with many people. But I heard his chemistry with Clooney was great. And I love Rodriguez. I love the storyline. I love how they expanded it into the TV series. But uh, his work in that one, I love seeing him. I I love watching him act because he's so over the top and so silly. That it's hard to take it, but I mean, but he's he's dead professional about this shit, man. <laughs> and that's the thing is, it works. Well, okay, when your character's name Sex Machine, you can't take that seriously. <laughs> True. <laughs> when you when you have a gun with <laughs> with a gun and two and two and two uh, revolver clips that look like a cock and balls attached to your pants. <laughs> <laughs> You know that shit was his idea. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't fuck with him. I wouldn't either. Can you picture the recoil <laughs> from that, though? Like, ugh. Oh, no, that would be Oh, but Salma Hayek has sent a Santanico pandemonium. That's where we're all quiet for a moment, which is reminisce. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, yeah. You guys wipe the drool off your face. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> that bitch. That bitch said, "Welcome to slavery." He said, "No thanks. I already had a wife." Boom! <laughs> <laughs> in the face. <laughs> oh, I'm, getting, I'm going off on a tangent. Going off on a Robert Rodriguez tangent. Um, but yes, yeah, I would like to hear from the audience. What uh, What's their favorite work of Savini's? Acting, special effects, doesn't matter. Um, what did you, Doug Savini, in? I just pretty cool guy. Um, I hope to get to see him again. I hear he's. I think he's going to be up at a uh, Frightmare Weekend in September. So I'm hoping. I know Bill Mosley is going to be up there. That just recently got announced. So maybe uh, maybe we'll run into Savini there. That would be really fucking cool. That would be badass. <laughs> Sit and chat with him for a moment. Fuck yeah. Be like, hey, check out this podcast. We just talked about you. <laughs> no, don't do that. I <laughs> <laughs> made it sound creepy. <laughs> we just talked about you, Paul. <laughs> we just talked about you. <laughs> just you in the sex machine. <laughs> Give it a listen, sex machine. <laughs> so, anyways, anyways, so uh, Alex, what do we got next? <laughs> oh, how am I supposed to play off of that? I didn't know. That's why I passed it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, all right, moving on. God. <laughs> let's go to uh, let's go to May 11th in one of the weirdest years of my life, 2001. It was such a weird year. A lot happened that year. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't die from Y2K and everybody's like, why the fuck are we still around? What do we do now? We floated kind of mindlessly until COVID, you know. Yeah. It's been a weird life, guys. Anyways, (laughs) May May 11, 2001, we were blessed with the movie Ginger Snaps. (laughs) This one. (laughs) I I love this one. I love this I really fucking. I, I love this whole trilogy. It's great. Uh, directed by John Fawcett, written uh, by John Fawcett and Carrie Walton, starring Emily Perkins, Catherine Isabel, Chris Lemke, Lemke, Lemke. How do you even say that? Is it Lemke? Lemke. You got it right the second time. Lemke. Lemke. See, I'm from the north. Lemke is L E M K E. Lemke. Lemke. <laughs> Lemke. Yeah. Anyway, so this. <laughs> This movie, we follow two twisted sisters because they're seriously morbidly fucked up. Um, and this is a coming-of-age coming film, if you will. 
uh, where these two sisters who are like obsessed with death uh, are <laughs> there's okay so there's like a string of dog murders and then then you got these sisters and this ginger is just having a terrible night it's a full moon she gets her fucking period and then her first period and then immediately gets attacked by um a, a werewolf and bitten and then over the next couple of days starts realizing changes and then she just starts fucking eating shit it, it, it gets out of hand pretty quick <laughs> that's, one, that's one way of putting it. There's a whole scene where she like fucks a dude and then kills a dog. It's 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 intense. There's a lot of fucking blood and not in a sexy way like the last time. <laughs> not in a sexy way. I like the sexy it's type It's terrible. Blood. But like I, I remember seeing this too for the first time and like the whole when they were like taking pictures of the dead bodies to like do that school project thing. I was like... These like suburban outcast kids, I can I can relate, man, because you know I was coming into teenage years myself, so this kind of played perfectly right into my life, in an opposite gender kind of way. But you know, <laughs> fucking terrifying. <laughs> Came I out really, the second I, and I third movie. It, it, there was a there was a theme uh, amongst horror amongst horror films going on. I think it was it, this was pretty much inspired by. You know, going back as far as 1992, uh, when Joss Whedon brought up the idea of, you know, use, using the horror genre as a to tell metaphorical stories about growing up, and this kind of continued that trend, made famous by you know things like Charmed and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and uh, <laughs> fucking emo goth kids everywhere. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> Rider and util- utilizing the kind of the the uncertainty and the unknown territory of growing up and going through puberty of dealing with high school dealing with changes the changes that we've all dealt with you know that we all deal with and we've all dealt with before but going through it and then adding it in to the horror genre and then you know so okay so we have two girls they're roughly the same age they're both growing up and they're death obsessed they're in their own world and fuck the world nonconformist but then one of the, you know, then Ginger gets her period, and all of a sudden things change. Mentalities change, emotions change, hormones starts going. This is obviously, and the girls begin to, as one is kind of coming into her own, the two girls begin to split apart because one is obviously growing, you know, it's a big, it's a big symbolic thing, and throwing <laughs> a werewolf, and the werewolf changes everything. So it makes the subject where I, th- I like it because horror as a metaphor may often makes the the real life subject easier to swallow because otherwise you can get preachy and it turns into a fucking, you know, after school, ABC after school special. Holy fuck. Did I just age? My, did I just date myself when, when I said that? Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> just, that just was, a little that's bit. what how we that's why millennials are so weird because we we had all the shit technology and now like. My daughter will just – my two-year-old nephew picked up a phone and, like, pointed it at something like he was FaceTiming with somebody. And I'm like, when I was two, we didn't have – the internet was not even a thing yet. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Let alone a it's smartphone. Weird. See, that's what like – that's that. like – that's why I love this movie and this trilogy too because you said horror is a metaphor. I feel like – Growing up was – it was horrible. Like going through that, like looking back at it, it was so emotional and like you just – nobody understands. But then you use horror and like, yeah, that's that's cool. They're like, fuck the system. Fucking we're going to go do weird shit because that's what we feel like doing. It's like, yeah, I feel that. And then you just kind of ride that fucking wave through the whole movie and like, you know, they're friends and then they're not and then they're saving each other. And it's just like it's, – it's fantastic. 
It's definitely like if you're like 15, 16, just go watch this movie. It'll help you understand a lot of things in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I had a twist. You will now have fur where there was no fur before. <laughs> <laughs> it's seriously. Maybe you're, getting, maybe you're getting hair in your naughty places. I'm getting hair in all of my places. <laughs> But I really, I really dug that. Uh, just like Buffy the Vampire Slayer did, you know, high school is hell. Going through high school is a bitch. Everyone does it. It sucks. You know, it's a, it's a, do- it's totally doggy sucks. dog. It does. And you add in like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you add in monsters, and then in Charmed, you add in demons. Uh, but the you know, it's shit like that. Um, I've always dug that because Q Supernatural. Because you know it, it enables it enables you to take these stories that people can relate to that actually have you know legitimate real world I would say not anecdotes but oh yeah yeah anecdotes about about real life think you know, lessons that you learn and it not be a fucking ABC after school special where you feel like people are talking down to you or you feel like people are talking to you like you like you're a fucking child they tell the same story but they they can wrap it in the metaphor of a genre that we love and is inclusive and brings people together throw in a little blood throw in a guts throw in some entrails and you've got yourself a really solid a horror film that actually has a message that you can conform to it's almost like it, i would say ginger snaps Almost went to went to the level of the craft, but with werewolves instead of just witches. I was actually about to say that because a, a lot of with the aesthetic, you think this came out with about five years after that craft, so you have that kind of gothic culture that was at its peak at that time. So with the mm-hmm. craft, Buffy had um, another one like Cruel Intentions. Oh yeah, yeah, because Cruel, oh, Cruel Intentions came out I think two years before this movie did. Yeah, we keep talking about this shit. You're gonna, yeah, you're gonna flare up my Buffy crap. <laughs> <laughs> that never unflared. Keep it in your pants, dude. <laughs> Jesus. One day, Sarah. Dude, I can, I can, I cannot go into a Buffy hole again because I will start with season one. I have seen all. See, you already seven fucking seasons. started. It's already done. I've already <laughs> seen seven. I've seen all seven seasons. So, but if I start, I cannot stop. I will. I will go through the. I have the whole box set sitting in my collection, uh, and then after that, I have to go on to Angel. And watch all that shit too. So for like you know what I'm binge seasons. watching right now. Okay, what are you guys binge watching through quarantine? Oh shit! I've, uh, right now, um, I'm going back through. Right now, Angela's going back through Bones. Nice, and good I'm choice. Going, and I'm going back through Burn Notice, but I'm swapping back and forth between Burn Notice and Fringe. Okay, so I completed uh, Royal Pains. And I just started Parks and Recreation because these are all TV shows that I haven't seen that people talk about all the time. Oh, Parks and Rec is one of my probably top. Dude, I'm three like or four fucking five ever. seasons into it. <laughs> oh, and I started Lost too. I still haven't finished Lost yet. I'm like five seasons into Parks and Rec, dude, and I love it. It's, it's fucking great. Dude, I'll finish Lost for you. No, don't, don't. I still gotta finish it myself. You haven't seen it before? You don't know? No, we've already talked about this, and then you guys, like, you spoiled it for Eugene, and I wasn't there, and... I didn't spoil it for Eugene. I, I was like, well, yeah, you, told you can tell me. <laughs> I saw, like, the first two seasons of Lost, and afterwards I was kind of like, eh. I'm like they're four in, so yeah, no, that's what I'm binging right now. Do you want to know, Alex? I'll tell you. No, don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me, because I've successfully gone this long without finding out, and as soon as I started, if you fucking tell me, I will... I will break fucking quarantine. <laughs> He's gonna come it's, to your house. It's all, it's, it's all a giant science experiment. God They're all it. like rats in a rats in a maze being tested. 
so it's like the island. No, I'm fucking. No, it's, it's, that's, that's not, not it. Yeah, that's not it. No, it's literally the plot to another Netflix show called The Island. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was the other one? Oh, go on Amazon and watch uh, uh, Upload. Upload. Okay, I take it. Okay, take it. You haven't heard it. Okay, so it's a uh, it's a wait. TV show about okay. virtual reality, but like using your mind in virtual reality after you die. Oh, uh, the new one with um, Stephen. A- oh, uh, Colin Amell. Yeah. <laughs> Our, Stephen Amell's brother. Yeah. You watch the first episode, you get halfway through, there's a scene in there that I'm not going to ruin for anybody because it's fucking hilarious. And you're like, okay, I'm going to watch this whole thing. It's like, and I'm Anyways, back to Back to Ginger Snaps. Yeah, back to Ginger Snaps. <laughs> but yeah, swing, swing it back to it. But I like the metaphor. Um, it does help It does help in storytelling. It's a classic story. It's storytelling uh, technique. And I think it works well here. And Hell yeah. With, and they with, had some of the greatest lines in this movie too. With stellar production... It was, we, we, actually, I would say it was stellar acting because Catherine Isabel, I think, was it was eighteen when she when she took this film, and uh, Elizabeth uh, was only was twenty two, even though they reversed them. She was actually the younger sister to uh, to Catherine to Ginger's character, but uh, I think it with an eighteen year old and a twenty two year old, um, the work that they did was amazing, especially considering that I guess from what I hear about the production itself. Yeah, the production itself was brutal because this is – it's a lower budget, kind of an indie film. And when you work on these, it's about getting the shots. It's about getting the sh- getting all the shots you need in the least amount of time possible. So they actually shot in Toronto's winter 16 hours a day. And so when, when you're outside in the winter in Canada shooting – that long, six days a week, crew members were get, crew members and cast were getting sick constantly. So it was this constant rotation of crew members weren't able to be there because they were sick, and they'll come back and other people would get sick. And you know, it, this is about getting the shots. So when they were actually shooting one scene over in the basement, and they had they had the girls covered in blood. It was just somebody's house. This wasn't a built set or anything like that. So whenever they had to switch out, like people coming in and out of the basement covered in blood, the homeowner had a four-year-old child. So a crew member had to distract the child and lead the child away so cast members can come out from the basement covered in blood. Because, you know, that, that's... Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what you got to do so you don't scar a four-year-old kid. <laughs> Seriously, dude, they fuck somebody up so bad. <laughs> There was some intense, some intense set design on that. Uh, some of those sets with the you know, the opening montage where they're taking all the photos. I think that was the first thing they shot, wasn't it? Yeah, that was that was that was the first thing that they shot. And so, do going through extra effort to not upset the neighbors. They started getting to the point where they started running out of time. So, scenes that took place during the day, they had to shoot at night. So they're rigging up basically like artificial suns and sunlight and stuff like that outside, which is very <laughs> difficult to do to get stuff done. And when they actually started doing the transformations of it, it was a seven-hour makeup process for Isabel. Fuck Damn. that. Seven hours to put on, two hours to take off. And what, like an hour of filming? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, it would be really, really tight. So this, I mean, this was they obviously they got it done with you know any any film you get in the can, but it was it was a very rough production. 
And then they did it two more times. And then two more times. Then they're like, we let's do it again. <laughs> well, by the time you get to it to say, you know, the sequel you've got again. I remember the sequel, she didn't do a full transform until until towards the end. Yeah, it was towards but, the end. But uh, but it was like brief and gradual. So that was a good way to get around it. It wasn't so extreme as in the first one. Whereas they were able to do, okay, let's just do the ears. Let's just do some hair. Let's just do some of this. And just slowly but surely, gradually through the film, got to it to kind of lessen the lessen the damage done to your lead actress. <laughs> Stop beating her. Because <laughs> we have a nine-hour day just in the makeup chair. Like, that's it. Just makeup chair. Nine hours. And one, You're not one even day. working yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that That's fucking crazy. So wild, but you know that you know this kind of where you get your start. Sometimes you got to endure some some crazy shit to tell a good story. It was great. It did. That's true. I mean, one thing about one thing about film sets. I love that quote: "The uh, worst day on a film set is still better than the day in the office." <laughs> Fuck yes, agreed. Fuck yeah. Agreed. Definitely. Yeah. So, like we were talking about, though, there's there's three films in this. It's a trilogy, right? Yes. Yeah, there's only three. Okay, good. Two um, films and a, two films and a prequel. Uh, two, uh, uh, a film, a sequel, and a prequel. Yeah, yeah. Shit, I got them backwards. Then I was thinking three was two. I don't know if you've seen them though, audience. We'd like to know what was your favorite entry in the uh, in the franchise. I think mine, the first one was probably my favorite out of all three. The first one was the best of the three. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. Yeah, it's just it's just the original two idea, is just cool transformation. Okay. Just yeah. Very brutal. Well, well, Catherine Isabel is an amazing actress. Uh, I strongly recommend. Obviously, she's been in a ton of shit. I really liked her turn in the the show Hannibal. She was really good in that. As, oh, that's uh, another one I'm watching. As uh, Mason Berger's sister. Um, if you haven't seen her in American Mary, she was American bad. Fucking yeah, it's a it's a it's a horror it's a horror slasher film directed by the Soska sisters. She was really fucking good in that. Looking it up now. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a pretty brutal film, but she was amazing in that one. For sure. Yeah, let us know. Which one did you like the best? First, second, the before, before the first, third one? All right, J.O., what do you got for us next? All right. So we're going to come a little bit closer to home. Uh, May 12th, 2014. Uh, we're going to be talking about Extraterrestrial. So, this little horror film uh, was directed by uh, Colin Minahan, uh, written by the Vicious Brothers. Colin Minahan is one half of the Vicious Brothers. Um, the, they are composed of uh, Colin Minahan and Stuart Ortiz. Uh, but they create under the Vicious Brothers uh, name, and this cast included a very talented group of people, uh, group of actors. Uh, Brittany Allen, Freddie Stroma, Melanie Papalia, Jesse Moss, Anya Sovchik. And Gil Bellows and Michael Ironside, the man, legendary Michael Ironside. I love him. <laughs> um, and we just mentioned her in the previous one. Uh, Emily Perkins had a little bit role in this one as well, so it was nice to see her just pop up as a <laughs> as, a, as a quick character. And I love it when she shows. Up. She always does such a good job. Um, but this is a particular favorite of mine. Extraterrestrial follows a group of friends who go out to settle. The, uh, was one of their estates. This one girl brings her friends out to help settle her family's cabin estate out, you know, by the lake. And they decide to party and have fun. And then aliens show up and everything just goes to fucking shit. So this movie turns brutal really fucking fast. 
<laughs> they get stoned and aliens show up. <laughs> Alien, yes, because I mean I I can't describe it any better than that because the aliens do just show the fuck up. Um, I got to give some hallmarks. Some hallmark moments are Emily Perkins' opening scene because she has the she has the intro, and she's really awesome in that. It was a, it was actually it was the intro that caught me because I happened to come across this film and I was like oh extraterrestrial oh it's the Vicious Brothers same guys who did Gra- uh, Grave Encounters so I got to give this thing a look and I you know I opened it up and or so I was sitting there watching it. And it was the first five minutes caught me. It was vi- the the effects were very very impressive, and I was just kind of like, oh, the end of Emily Perkins. I love watching her. So it was like, okay, good. It was just saying, oh, I see what's going on. And then boom, I was like, oh, I'm sold. I gotta watch this shit. And this the, this is the film that also introduced me to Brittany Allen. Um, I think most people may have caught her recently. She was in The Boys, um, as uh, I think what's her name, Popclaw, um, A Train's girlfriend. In the boys, but I think she had a horror film that came out. Uh, I think it was direct to Netflix called "What Keeps You Alive." What? Yeah, she uh, she where she she played the the uh, a girl who goes out to a cabin with her wife, and then her wife turns on her and tries to and tries to hunt her. <laughs> and like so she's the, got the a thing. Way, she like, keeps going back to these cabins, man. <laughs> I know, right? <clears throat> but she's a damn talented fucking actress. She is really goddamn good. Um, also to recommend, uh, it stains the sand red, which was another that was also, um, Colin Millen at Minahan who directed that. I think the two of them are, are actually married now, but, uh, she played a girl who was being tracked by a lone zombie through the desert. She gets stranded in the desert during a zombie apocalypse and there's this one zombie and she's trying to escape this zombie through the desert. But the deeper she goes in the desert, the more risky she's gonna die, but she, you know, she can't face, face off with the zombies. So it was actually a pretty good, uh, pretty tense little uh, thriller. <laughs> but, uh, but damn, some some seriously talented actors that went into this. Um, Gotta tell you, because the film does pretty damn good with what it's got, despite the fact that it's pretty much effects driven. It really is, which come usually with effects fit with with a couple of special effects. Big studio films. That's like the that's the big thing. You think you know Star Wars or Marvel? These huge ones that come out. You don't. It's really hard to do an alien abduction and alien special effects when you get to these smaller budget ones, just because special effects are expensive, and the yeah. better the effects are, the more expensive it is i know um just gives people an idea in the tv show buffy every time they dusted a vampire and they showed it was five thousand dollars god damn every single time and that's just the overlay for one dusting so when you're talking about a ship coming in with the with abductions and special effects and dealing with the aliens it can get out of hand really really fast now (laughs) You know, one of the things is a lot of especially a lot of lower budget movies don't use special effects or they don't use special effects kind of very kind of very often just because of the whole price thing. But you'll have a couple of films that actually really rely on it and they try to tell a story that's one hundred percent pretty much through effects. And I know the director that comes to mind is always Ronald Emmerich, who did Independence Day and the Day After oh, Tomorrow. Uh, uh, Roland yeah, Roland. I'm sorry. Yeah, Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Who he get yeah, Roland Emmerich. Who, His name's Ronald now. Shut <laughs> up. Ron, it's at, this, at, at this point, it's become a running gag. I think we've accepted. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I hope the audience accepted it too. But 
you know, he's somebody he's somebody who is very, very special effects driven. And the thing about Ronald's movies are is they're always exploding. <laughs> ah, rolling, rolling. The thing about the thing about his movies, pronouns, his movies. The thing about fucking Ronaldo. <laughs> the thing about R's movies, right? <laughs> is they're always a spectacle to watch, but the stories can be hit or miss. A, a lot of times True. it can take away from characterization because you're always caught up in the spectacle that has to be shiny, grab your attention, the special effects have to blow you away, which takes time away from character development. Some of that sometimes that really important dialogue. And it's really hard to balance the two. So the special effects aren't, oh, your eyes are constantly pulled, so if you stop seeing special effects, you start getting bored. But at the same time, you've got to push up those characters it sounds like a balance issue it's a hard balancing issue it's that was the big thing uh that was that was the really big thing about 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 extraterrestrial i think only two characters out of the entire cast really got any serious you know i would say exposition as far as development goes and that would be uh uh, allen's character and um her boyfriend uh, Kyle. So Freddie Stroman, Brittany Allen, pretty much they had the most to work with. Everyone else pretty much was just there to help the story along and either add comic relief or add drama to whatever the scene was. Even Michael Ironside, you know, I love it. God, you know, Michael Ironside is a legend. Was you know, There wasn't much done with him. The, the, the effects predominantly drove this. The alien showing up, the alien crash site, the UFO. And the, all of this was exceptionally well done. It really was with the budgets that they had. And it was enough to keep me interested. It really was. But you go back, but it's, it, is it worth any sec- a second viewing, a third viewing, a fourth viewing? Not so much. I would say occasionally go back. I've seen the movie probably since since it came out, 2014. I've probably seen it four times. And wow. I'll, occasionally go, I'll occasionally go back and watch it just to see it. Just because I really enjoyed, I really like Brittany Allen's work. And... I think I, I, this is one of her earlier films, so I really enjoyed watch it, uh, watching her progress as both an actress and see the work, the uh, the kind of the choices she makes in, in her character development. But I really like the Vicious Brothers. Grave Encounters just got me. And Grave Encounters was way better than it had any right to be, and Grave Encounters Two actually took the same kind of premise and made it even better, which was shocking. And of course, you're talking about the Vicious Brothers uh, found footage movie <laughs> when they locked themselves in the hospital right that was grave encounters yeah yeah dude that was incredible it, it, right and so and then there was did you ever see the second one uh, yeah grave, Enca- grave encounters too. so they I did was, two and even- then the vicious brothers uh just premiered like a 15 part anime and uh also announced grave encounters three. Oh, i see no that was back out uh back in 2015 when they announced that and uh, I, I haven't seen it yet because it hasn't come out. I'm kind of wondering where that's at. Hopefully, it's not stuck in production hell. Well, I, because they did. Uh, it stains the sand, uh, stains the sands red, and uh, then yeah, what keeps you alive was the um, the those, thriller those were, that they did last yeah, those year. Were both directed by Minahan and written by both of them. So they they've uh, they've got oh, what is that? They got five five productions under their belt. And I they really hope they, get to, they go back and they revisit for Grave Encounters three. I want that movie so fucking bad. It's it, even, especially indie, low, fairly low budget films. You don't often get 
such a jump in improvement from Grave Encounters and Grave Encounters 2. Grave Encounters 2 not only upped the effects, it upped the 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 character building. It it, it uh, the night the throwback to the first one with the, you was... know, the with the host still alive in the fucking yeah. in, the, in the hospital, <laughs> and then continuing the story on. He also also you know given in the kitschy you know it's oh it's a real place and you know coordinates to the to the actual location. Um, well, and then like on the second one too, they like they took because the first one was very, it was very just you know horror driven, you know ghost movie, and then the second one was like it got more like psychological. It was definitely yes, more of like a much, yeah, yeah. It was more of a dive into like I don't know. It was fantastic. That's a fantastic pair of films. They got a they got a uh, the third one is going to be the beginning, so it's going to be a prequel, which would be cool. You go either way with that one and be fine. It's just it's nice to see a sequel actually build on the original film instead yeah. of just trying to market off of it. I mean, how many first time uh, writer director combinations? Because um, they both co directed Grave Encounters. And yeah, they edited the fucking movie. They so. wrote, directed, and edited both of them. Both of them. And how often do you see you know you know with Grave Encounters being a freshman effort? And then Grave Encounters Two, the Grave Encounters Two, one year later, their sophomore effort, and that level of improvement. And then, then I look at Extraterrestrial, and I look at It Stains the Sands Red, and then I look at What Keeps You Alive because What Keeps You Alive was um, the writing in that was fucking amazing, and that that one sh- like shook me because they really played on you how they play they were able to play on the depths they play in the depths of few of like just. The dark side of, of humanity. They play on that really well. The dark, you know, of obsession, of ego, of, you know, self, self-aggrandizement, self-fulfillment, shit like that. Because what keeps you alive is very much, you know, real true love meeting the, the horrors of humanity. Because this girl, I, for those who haven't seen it, the, the bad girl, and I'll say, we'll say the good girl and the bad girl. The bad girl has been in a relationship with this, with, with this other girl. For over a year, and they are they have they have gone through they have gotten married. They are on their honeymoon. She takes her out. She takes her new wife out to the out to her family's cabin in the middle of nowhere to hunt her because <laughs> so this is up. what she does. And then after she does it, she changes her identity and moves on. That's super fucking twisted and scares yeah, the shit yes. out of me about trusting anybody in my life. Because the whole ruse was for over a year. They so this girl, the, this, the the victim, she is desperately in love with this girl, and then come to find out that your wife, who who you have, who you had trust, is it, the whole thing was a plot, was a ploy to bring you in, and weaken you as a, a weaken you as her prey. That's so fucked. That's up. fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> it is fucking twisted, dude. It is. Yeah, I'm gonna check. You said is is that one's on Netflix. Vici- it is a vicious production. Ooh, Ooh. I see what you did there. Ah. <laughs> see what you did right there. <laughs> but these guys got a big, got a great future ahead of them, man. I can't Seriously, and like coming out of the gates like that, man. Like I'm so excited. Coming out of the gates. And now I gotta go watch this. It stains the sands red, and what keeps you alive? Yeah, I think what keeps you alive is on Netflix currently. Um, it stains the sand red. Might be on Amazon Prime. I'm not 100% sure. Um, I caught that one online. I, I bought it from somewhere. And I just don't know what streaming service it's on. But what keeps you alive is definitely on Netflix. Strongly recommend that one. Yeah, I'm, de- I'm definitely going to have to check them out. Definitely. All right. Well, that kind of brings us 
to what the audience thinks. So we just listed off, you know, everything the Vicious Brothers know. We've gone through their whole filmography. It's not that long. But we're very curious. What is the audience's favorite Vicious Brothers film? Did you did you prefer Grave Encounters or Grave Encounters 2? Um, Extraterrestrial? Is, you know, um, is Sands the Sands Red or What Keeps You Alive? Or maybe you're waiting for Grave Encounters 3. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Let us know. You can always email us at, at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to get emails in because... Sometimes we read them and we check them out. So we. Uh, what do you mean sometimes? Love, sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> I didn't finish that. We'd love to be able to read them on the show. Yeah. Oh, if you guys yeah. have any questions for us, we'd love to be able to hear what you have for us. Um, or maybe you want to call us out because we made a mistake or we pronounced something yeah, the wrong did. way. <laughs> yeah, 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 JL. Yeah, who, when you pronounce stuff the wrong knows? way. Who knows? Who knows <laughs> what you might be agged with, but we would love to hear from you. So definitely, yeah, always, you know, let us know what your favorite movies are. We'd love to hear about it. What, what did you like of the Vicious Brothers? Or what are you looking forward to from them? Let us know. All right, Eugene, you had an exciting one this week. This is one of my favorite movies, and I am sorry right off the bat for the pronunciation of names. I apologize. <laughs> it is a Korean film, so I will do my best I really will. But it is one of my favorite films. And it, it came out May 13th, 2016. And it is Train to Busan. And it was directed by Yeon Sang-ho, John Yo, starring John Mo, Ma Dong Seok, John Yo Mi, and Kim Soo An. I hope I pronounced that right. I tried. I practiced. I think you that. got it. That was that was pretty. How, good. how did you nail those? But you <laughs> <laughs> so today we found out Eugene is actually Korean. <laughs> so I'll get all the Korean names from now on. <laughs> Wait a minute! You got that correct, but Roland is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Ronald. Ronald Emmert, Ronald Emmerka. No, but that was that was well done. That was really well done. We 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 were on we were on the edge of our seats. Yeah, you know, waiting with bated breath. And you actually knocked that one out of the park. That was pretty yeah. Good. I practiced that. I did. I practiced it. Very nice. <laughs> it's the only research he did for this podcast. <laughs> I've got to get these. Men. I got Standing in the mirror, pointing at himself. I'm not going to fuck this up. For our Korean listeners, listen anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> now they're going to email us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Train to Busan, it's a it's a fantastic zombie film and it follows a fund manager and his daughter who basically board a train to go see the exchange, exchange his exchange wife and the daughter's mother, and while they're on this train, the zombie apocalypse breaks out. And so they get little bits and pieces of information through a phone call, and then pull into a station, and you see people getting ripped apart and a massacre happening, and you try to keep the train going, and zombies get on the train, and the zombies are vicious in this movie. Oh, they aren't your shambling, moaning zombies. No, these. <laughs> no, these were the thing about them was it's not only were they like aggressive and fast because we we saw that with like the Dawn of the Dead, uh, the Zack Snyder remake. This is like they bent in certain ways, like they like when they turn, they bend in ways a human body 
is not supposed to bend. It gets into that like that Eastern type movement horror on top of. Oh, I get where you're going with oh, the, like, the grudge yeah. and the ring. And- yeah, yeah. yeah, just that kind of Eastern. They use tricks of your brain, you know, clicking stuff in the wrong direction. Straight, you know, fucks your- crazy body articulation and shit like that, yeah. This is, I mean, you know, this is a fantastic zombie film. And, like, I'd actually seen uh, another zombie film the same day that I watched this movie because I was on a zombie kick. But uh, World War Z was another great zombie movie I, I like hate comparing these two and it was something that we had discussed before the show it's just it's hard to put these two into the same because you can watch train to busan which when you watch it it's you gotta watch it with subtitles on it's in a different language i mean unless you speak korean like eugene apparently oh, yeah. <laughs> but you know you don't you could you could strip all the dialogue away from this movie and you you could feel the entire you make up your own dialogue in your head like you don't need it you feel this whole movie from start to finish. At the very end of the movie, it like I remember like ver- like physically sighing out loud like as the credits started to roll because I was like sitting on the edge of my seat with my breath held the whole time. And it's it's hard to compare that to World War Z, which was another I thought fucking excellent zombie movie. I, I to me the difference has been with World War Z and Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is kind of a central figure involved with the infection because he's a scientist and he's talked with the military and he gets all this like inside. He just has all this he, fucking clearance. Yeah. Cause he gets all the inside information and ends up in the right spot at the right time constantly in that movie. Whereas with train Broussai, they just feel like people like there's not, you got the guy who can, knows how to fight, but it's nothing like they, it just feels real. When you watch. It is very real. You're so vulnerable during the whole thing. You know, you're crammed in the little car. You're not in this big outside world. You're crammed in this little train car, and there's choke points. And like the whole time, like you're just sitting there, like oh, I'm not, I can't. What do I do? Like hiding behind the seat of an invisible train that you're on because you feel like you're there. Absolutely. You don't. You don't need the dial. I don't know. This, yeah, you, you don't. I kind of fanboy over this movie. It, it's. You're right. You don't need the dialogue. You don't. Every. I think I stopped watching the words about halfway through. It had. It had a heart. It had. It had heart that World War Z just did. World War Z, by comparison, felt felt somewhat sterile. It was just very action themed. It was just like okay. That was just just telling a. You you felt there was a separation when you watch World War Z. You you feel the kind of separation from when you're you know, I'm watching a movie about zombies, whereas Train to Busan gets you emotionally involved. There was a stronger emotional element to Train to Busan. You know, there are individuals who can relate to, relate to the father trying to protect his daughter, uh, especially the daughter he's a, he's pretty much estranged from. You have the passengers who are afraid and terrified. The the guy that fucks over everyone because there's always one that fucks over everybody. Selfish yep. piece of shit. Selfish piece of shit. But so we understand these. We own. understand these things. These, these these are the things that real people do in extraordinary in, in extraordinary situations. And even the dude who's just like you know what fuck I'm gonna punch zombies in the face. Fuck you, because you know. I kind of related to him myself, but just kind of like, ah, oh, shit, now I'm punching zombies in the face. <laughs> well, like, what the fuck else <laughs> are you going to do? If you don't like, stop punching them, they're going to eat that, you. So, that, like, dude just, that dude just... Dude, he punched so many zombies. <laughs> he really did. Just, 
just compartmentalize it like a motherfucker. He's like, you know what? Now I got to punch zombies in the face. Hey, man, what are you what are you talking to my wife for? Get the fuck back. Oh, shit, zombies. <laughs> you know, I love that guy. But yes, Eugene is right. We could relate to these characters. They felt more real because they were reflections of us. And I they think had different types. It, if no matter what kind of person you are, that kind of person was in this movie. Yes. Exactly. Because even with the guy who punched zombies, they could have made him this super martial artist, badass, and kung fu master, and all this other kind of stuff. But, Why? Because it's Korean. I've said no, no. Well, they could. No, they, they, they could tell. But the thing that is, guy is that guy was none of that. That guy worked on fucking cars. Yeah, he. he that was pretty much. <laughs> he he came across as he's just a tough guy who just kind of knows how to handle himself. He's probably been in some fights and stuff like that growing up. That's how he's not afraid to punch people. But he just came across a guy who just knows how to handle himself, and that's what makes yeah. him relatable. That's such a good movie. <laughs> it's extremely, extremely well done. And I actually think it being in Korean lends itself a little bit better to American audiences, which is why it resonated so well. Because obviously you can follow along with the uh, with the subtitles. But if, even if you don't, like you said, you really don't need to. The action itself is so well represented. And, even, and everything on the screen is so well represented. And you don't get lost in any customs or, mm-hmm. you know, um, or cultural uh, storytelling because they don't rely heavily on that. This is it's a the story can be can be understood across all spectrums across all cult- cultures, which I think was a brilliance of the director and being able to say let's make one that do- that doesn't just let's make a zombie movie that's really good but doesn't just cater to Korean audiences, okay? But caters to any audience. If it this were to just take caters place on, to the human right. If this were to take place on, on any train anywhere, this is what it would. This is what it could be like. And plus, you know, I mean, the, the storyline of the guy with his daughter and do, him doing everything he could, but the fact that that's all his daughter will really remember of him was him on that train protecting her. Yeah. Because yeah, the ending of that movie was, like, hard not to just, like, break down mentally. And even uh, when you start seeing his character shift, where in the beginning it's, no, you take out – it's all about yourself – you know, screw everybody else, it's yourself, it's yourself, it's yourself. Then you start seeing him going back and helping people when he realizes that his daughter pays attention to how he's acting. It's not just surviving, right. but it's how he's acting. So in that action, the action that's going on, you see characters develop because of it. Yep. Such a well-done film. I would actually argue, and I think I have Ed, and Edgar Wright tweeted out and he that I think he agrees with me that this is most likely the best zombie film ever made just yeah, from the evolution from the evolution of the subgenre of zombie horror this built this 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 stood upon the shoulders of the giants before it but it made the genre its own it took what worked and ran with it which in film we're good we're we're good with if, if as long as if what you're gonna do, you pay homage to it, and you either make it your own and do it better, okay? Always be improving, and it did that. It improved everything on all fronts. It improved the zombies. It improved the drama. It improved the characterizations, and it, uh, the effects, the location, everything, and made it ubiquitous. Anybody in the world can watch this and get it and understand it and be in, enthralled by it. You know, and when Edgar Wright, the director of Shaun of the Dead. 
tweets out that this is the best zombie film he's ever seen. <laughs> you, you know he's on a That's a tall order. Okay. That is a tall order from the yeah. that is a tall order from the guy who made Shaun of the Dead, which I think before 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 Train to Busan, Shaun of the Dead was considered probably the best zombie film ever made. Because it took it in a new direction, it paid homage to the greats before it, but it Edgar Wright made it his own, and was you know funny as absolute fuck, you know Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. So I think trying to I I honestly do unless they do something amazing with World War Z two, I think you know Train to Busan, arguably the best zombie film ever made, with a very close second the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah, I was fixing to say, if there was any film in competition, then it would be the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead. Yes. A very close second. Because that had moments that were just imp- imp- so imp- just impressive. That, I think, heralded the genius of Zack Snyder before he got involved with DC and they fucking ruined him. Um, <laughs> I, gotta, I, gotta I gotta get my DC thing in there. Um... <laughs> God damn, we're uh, pitching a lot of stuff today. But uh, well, at least what what are we gonna see with Peninsula, right? Yeah, that's Dude. so. They recently just released a trailer for Peninsula. Dude, it was so fucking amazing. <laughs> it, was. it was so awesome. It, it you know it was, and you know we were. I, I said it. I know. I know. I said it. You know. I said it. <laughs> I caught myself on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but when we talked about the sequel to Grave Encounters, are we going to get a sequel that's going to build on Train Busan? That's a t- that's a hard movie to top, or even just hit well, that I, same level. I think they can do it, but that's a that's a tall order. I think that's a big thing. Is that and I think what's going to go what's going to go for them on this is that it's not a direct sequel to Train to Busan. Um, just like Grave Encounters 2, you know, it's, it's a, a direct sequel. It takes place in the same location. It's a new cast, but they're encountering the same shit. Um, in Train to Busan, it takes place, Peninsula takes place in the Train to Busan universe, but four years later. And it's, it doesn't have anything to do with the original story. It's just in the same universe. So it's more shit. That's why there was more, I think there was, there was more military action in that trailer. So it'll be another aspect of, of the ongoing zombie apocalypse. So, because I think it was Train to Busan presents Peninsula, which more likely they're referring to the Korean Peninsula being in South Korea, being completely overwhelmed by the zombie apocalypse. Just so fucked. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how big they're going to go with it. Obviously, they could go you know, all of South Korea, just like 28 Days Later did all of the UK. Um, will they go further than that? Who knows? But judging what I saw in that trailer... It's gonna be fucking amazing. I can't wait to see it. I can't. I love the just just the idea of being in the dark because the power grid is out. There are zombies everywhere, and you can only see them when you're firing your gun. <laughs> that that fucking got me. Like the like like the the muzzle flash is what's lighting up the zombies. I was like, that's fucked up. <laughs> I'm still scared. <laughs> and so mm. and so actually, I like to ask the audience. What do you think about the new Peninsula coming up? Peninsula, yeah, Train to Busan presents Peninsula. Peninsula, yeah. yeah. What, as the audience, what do you think? Do you think it's going to hold up to Train to Busan? Is it going to be better? Is it going to be worse? What do you think about the trailer that's coming out? Let us know in the comments and sh- or shoot us an email. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. I can't wait. I'm excited I'm about it. I'm super excited so, about it. So, so excited about it. 
Uh, I want to watch the trailer again. <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably watch the trailer later tonight. I'll be honest. And so, uh, Alex, what's the last movie we got tonight? Last movie. Last movie. Got to end it on me, huh? Last one of the week. Well, there's a little bit of foreshadowing. <laughs> yes, we're going to be talking. <laughs> I know. I like super ironically too. It just ended up being right here. But we're talking about. Uh, We've got the movie The Car came out May 13th, 1977. What a good year. Yeah, it was a good year. year. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Directed by Elliot Silverstein, uh, written by Dennis. uh, See, I'm going to fuck this one up too. Shirak. 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 Really? 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 Struggling on names? <laughs> hey, hey, you you proved yourself. Man, I got nothing to say about that. <laughs> Story James Brolin, Kathleen Lloyd, uh, John Marley, R.G. Armstrong, all sorts of super old people. <laughs> Fucking seventy seven, man. We're getting old, dude. Uh, you, well, you gotta you gotta give homage, man. The the, the ever present bad guy. Ronnie Cox was in this. The Ronnie Cox. <laughs> now I have a friend. I have a friend who listens to the show regularly. And if I don't give a shout out to Ronnie Cox, because he's just Ronnie Cox is my friend's favorite bad guy. He was the uh, the head of OCP in uh, in fucking RoboCop. Yeah, I was gonna say and RoboCop. He was. I mean, he often plays evil CEOs. Is typically what he plays. He was in Total Recall. Um, oh, Ronnie Cox is in fucking everything. So, and he's all, he's often just a straight up bad, like he's like a bad CEO. He's the evil CEO. That's what he fucking is. And he was in this. He was, uh, in, uh, the car. So I gotta give shout out to Ronnie Cox. How do you come across a talent like, this is my, my niche? Like, I'm just an evil CEO. <laughs> I'm an evil CEO. That, that sounds like either father problems or I don't know. <laughs> Somebody has to play them. <laughs> But yeah, so the car uh, follows a car, <laughs> a very murderous car that literally comes out of nowhere and just starts killing children. Black sedan rolls up behind a couple of kids, fucks with them for a second, slams the girl against the concrete barrier and knocks a boy off a bridge and then runs down a hitchhiker. And uh, then the town starts to, they think that there's like a murderer, but then it turns out that... There might be more supernatural forces at play, which I is really fantastic. Enjoy, I really enjoy this. This Lincoln just comes out of fucking nowhere and starts <laughs> killing everybody. I enjoy this movie not only because it has James Brolin in it. You know, James father, Brolin makes this father movie. Of, father of Josh Brolin, uh, father of Thanos, father of uh, Cable. But uh, yeah, when do we get that fa- movie? What do you mean? Do what? Deadpool three. No, J- James Brolin is Josh Brolin's dad. Yeah. You said father of Cable. Yeah. He, yes, he played Cable in Deadpool 2. Yeah, Josh Brolin yeah, did. at the end. Josh yeah. Brolin played Cable in Deadpool Why do 2? I always get him mixed up with fucking, uh, never mind. So Josh Brolin was Cable. Josh Brolin was Thanos. Yes. Which is why Ryan Reynolds said, zip it, not- Thanos, when they were in their fight. I almost said not Ron Swanson, not Ron Perlman. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Wait, you confuse you confuse Ron Perlman with Ron Josh Perlman Brolin. With Josh Brolin. <laughs> okay, so all right, so yes, it has James. I'm gonna go back to my father. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> fuck me, right? The movie has James Brolin, father of Thanos, father of Cable, um, and it has. I think this is it's an example 
of one of how to make a perfect monster, just a great monster in film, because the car shows up. See, unlike other bad guys, uh, what was it in Scream? They talked about it being the best. You know, the, the bad guys that have no motives, they have no reasons that, or you know, explainable reasons to why they do these things. They simply are what they are. They're forces of nature, and I think a great monster is takes on those attributes. We don't know, obviously, what drives the car. I think that was the fucking poster, <laughs> you know. The, the, but I think that was that was like the, one of the taglines. What drives the car? But we don't know. There's no rhyme or reason to what it does. It targets people, but doesn't target every single person. It seems to be singling people out, or people that piss it off. You know, there was no motive. There was no rhyme or reason to it. It literally showed the fuck up. I think the opening was it drove out of the darkness of a tunnel, you know, which is pretty amazing. It, it just it literally just came out of nowhere. Just, <laughs> just came out of the darkness of a tunnel. Oh fuck! That's, that's a, kind of a cool car. It looks like a custom chopped Lincoln. <laughs> Dude, that Lincoln and then it starts fucking, fucking killing ass. children. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a simple deal. The car shows up, starts killing people. Everybody tries to unite to try and stop the fucking thing. Um. And, you know, the fact that it toys with people, it plays with them. The whole standoff scene, the car is right there in front of, of Brolin's character. Uh, he, he was, um, share, uh, he was, uh, yeah, Je- Deputy Wade. He's, they're having the standoff in the fucking road. He's firing at the goddamn car and no, no damage is done. Nope. And, and, but it lets him get close. It kind of pops the door a little bit so we can look and say, you know, this is what you're dealing with, motherfucker. You want to look in here? You want to look in here? You want to take a look inside? Up? There's nothing in here. See what's up? <laughs> There's nothing in here, motherfucker. And a friend of mine, a friend of mine used to call it, you know, used to call the car the Devil's Sunday Ride. And I fucking love it because that this is how you make a great monster movie. There's you you get to leave so much to the imagination. People fill in the blanks themselves. Oh, uh, an excellent, I think, of a, a tried and true trope of storytelling, especially horror storytelling. That doesn't get used as much today. I think a lot of people consider it old fashioned, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. It it is because it comes out of nowhere. There's there's that no explanation, and I love you're right how it teases because the car pulls up behind him, behind James Brolin when he's on the motorcycle. It's like the car could just run him over. Exactly. Yeah, it could, it could have fucking killed him. Yeah, but it stops. But he likes to play. And the, the features that's always stood out to me was the headlights. Because the headlights, they just, they look evil. Just straight up evil. It's like it's just, it's glaring at whoever it's at whoever it's running down. And so when they're actually, when they're actually putting the car together, they actually used, it was a highly customized 1971 Lincoln Continental Mark III. Ah, the Mark III. Yeah, the Mark III. And they ended up, they got four for the production, so three stunt cars, and then one for the close-up. So three cars were destroyed during production, and then the one is in a private collector uh, collection right now. But the car was designed by legendary car designer George Barris, who has worked on actually quite a few films of just car design. He actually designed the original Batmobile. For the 1966 oh, series. No shit, I missed that. Oh, fucking A. Fucking a. Yeah, I mean, he, he worked on... The, the black and... The fuck, black fucking and, A. The, oh, I love that car. The, the black and red trim. Yeah, the black and red... Yeah, the black and yes. red trim. He was, he was the one that actually designed that. He designed the cars for Jurassic Park. Uh, in the first movie. 
So, I mean, this is, they knew exactly who they were going, who they were talking with. He designed the Dukes of Hazard cars. He designed Knight Rider. I mean, this is just what this guy did was design cars for movies. And it, it clearly it works because that car is creepy. It's, I don't even think it has handles on the side of the door. Because I'm just like looking at it. I don't even think there's any kind of handle to pop, to pop it open or anywhere. It'd be nice to know where it came from. But yeah, I mean, they they got George, got him on production. He was the one that customized it and put it together, and it worked. I love the design of it. It was obviously it was a, it's a very powerful car, and but it doesn't it wasn't of the classic design of like muscle cars of the time of the late seventies. But he bulked it. Up. It was so bulky and looked like it could. It the car physically looked like it shouldn't be able to do what it was doing. That giant fucking grill on the front, those big the 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 big inflated pipes, the piping that was on the sides. That car should not have been able to do the things that it did. But that's <laughs> I mean, obviously the the fun you can have when customizing vehicles um, for film and doing fun, you know, shit like the the fucking wraith, and which I think I don't know oh, man, what you they went did. there. I don't know what the fuck they did with that fucking car. <laughs> that, shit was, that, that shit was fun. I think I actually think that was a that was a prototype. That they then modified after its prototype design, but then what was it? Uh, oh, there's there's another one I can't remember. Um, in the vein of shit. Anyway, I, I'm just I killing I in the name that. of. Say it again. Killing in the name of. No, that's Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alex has done smoked himself. <laughs> Alex has been stuck in a house alone for way too long. <laughs> way too long. So, but you get to do fun things like that and portray that because I guarantee you, I'm. I mean, I know cars fairly well. I'm not. I'm not as good as my dad was or my brother is, but obviously, it it lent itself to that supernatural feel. That this vehicle should not be able to do the things that it does, and you can create otherworldly concepts that don't. Obviously, it's like that thing doesn't fucking belong. Like that's fucking crazy, and I love that it lent itself. Like you said, the headlights, the customized headlights to give it the look like it was staring you down without being overtly like, oh, we've narrowed the beams to make it look like it's like, oh, it's angry with you. Just the way they <laughs> laid everything out. Uh, Barris was a genius when it came to making things stand out and still be functional. God, they made four of them. You know, when they did one of the scenes, they got to like blow a stick of dynamite up underneath one of the cars to flip it. You know how fucking cool it'd be to be on a fucking movie scene and they're like hey grab the tnt <laughs> we're gonna what? we're gonna blow up the car <laughs> we're gonna blow up this one <laughs> what that's really like, that's like in supernatural uh uh how many impalas do they have on that show i don't I know like, I, I, I didn't I think i read somewhere they got like 15 16 impalas i yeah i know i read at one point they had seven on one set because they kept wrecking them or something like that yeah well they have they, and they have them for various stages of damage so, like, the pristine Impala will show up, you know, at the very end of the show or at the very beginning of the show. Then the Impala with the front-end damage, the, the, the Impala with the rear-end damage, the Impala with the side damage, the Impala that, that, it, that when you try to start it, it's specifically set up so that when you turn the key, it, re 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 it just, just, just buzzes, okay? Or the completely dead Impala that does nothing. So these are all different cars that they bring onto the set that they can jump in and do this <laughs> shit. I fucking love that. 
Uh, I had speaking of speaking of uh, supernatural. They they covered. Did you remember the uh, fuck? Do you remember the episode where uh, the Impala was alive? Yes, gave I do. Tribute to another paranormal car movie. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> We're like trying to slowly lead into something here. <laughs> we are. Well, we are, we made the announcement so. I know. It was so cool that this worked out to be uh, to be on this day at this time at the end of this specific episode. But uh, I'm talking about Christine because that Plymouth Fury was fucking cool. Oh, she was. So oh sweet. man, it's so I, know, I, know, I love that. And you kept saying you're like the wraith and all this. I'm like, he's not even gonna fucking say Christine, is he? Well, I, w- I was talking about cars that have you un- that have extremely unique design. Christine was a cherry. Um, just beautiful. 50, was it? She's fifty-seven or fifty-eight? Fifty-seven, I believe. Fifty-seven, fifty-seven. Plymouth Fury. Yeah. Was, okay, but she. No, she it was, was a fifty-eight. Fifty-eight, yeah, fifty-eight. Plymouth Fury, and just straight up the line stock. The way she was, that was that car stock. Whereas you know vehicles like you know the car or the Wraith or um you know they you know crazy motorcycles like this they, they, this is that you uniquely done stuff that obviously is not roadworthy this should not be fucking out there you know this obviously supernatural of some nature but Christine she was just gorgeous in her own right you know gotta love that fury oh yeah and I can't wait to hear you guys battle it out on our bloodbath coming to you next week to our Patreon subscribers. It's going to be sweet. Christine versus the car. Fingers crossed for me. Fingers crossed for me. I'm going to put up a hell of a fight. It's going to be. It's going to be. Are we using our our airbags? Going to be a factor in this one? No, because neither vehicle has fucking airbags. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think you legally had to have airbags or seatbelts. They don't have airbags in hell. Where no, these cars I come think, from? I think in, I think in those cars... <laughs> That's going to be the fucking tagline on our poster for our blowback. They don't have airbags in hell. I think in Christine, I think they only had lap lap belts. Oh, no, did yep. it in 1958? There may have been no belts in that fucking thing. Yeah, I don't know, I, I don't I know either. There, there might have been... I guess when there might have been lap belts, but not not safety straps. Maybe I'm wrong. That that Maybe that car had no fucking belts at all in it. That Remember when station been, wagons had backward seats? That they... I don't, you know, I don't think they did. I don't know. I'm pretty sure some car expert out there will let us know. Yeah, yeah, hit us up. Some uh, seatbelt history buffs. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting. Very cool. But yes, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, since we've got a week beforehand, audience, let us know who do you think is gonna win this bloodbath battle, Christine or the car? Drop us a line. Get involved. We'll uh. Shall I be so bold to say? Send us an email with your guess, and then we'll shout you out on the bloodbath. The car. <coughs> cough, cough. <laughs> uh, <coughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, continue. Continue on. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what people don't know is Eugene is actually fighting with Christine. Yeah, yeah me versus Christine. <laughs> Well, I think I'm going to put up the best argument that I can. So, dude, it's going to be awesome. I'm super excited to hear because I love jail when you have to like when you have to dig deep and come up with these scenarios. I love hearing about him because he just goes so deep into it. I'm like, fuck yeah, he's got a point. And Eugene, you come swinging every time. So I'm like, this is going to be fun. Oh, all right. I guess we got a, a couple of birthdays this week. We did a couple of uh, pretty high profile birthdays. Oh, yeah. 
A couple, yeah, definitely a couple of legends. Um, first birthday we have up this week. Um, she was born May 10th, 1948. Uh, the legendary, gorgeous actress Meg Foster. Oh, she's been around so, a long time. Long time. Uh, <laughs> That's almost, so rude. <laughs> almost a 50 years career. Five decades. Still she's, killing it. She is putting uh, putting boot to ass. Um, many people <laughs> might, if, if you those those listening who don't recognize her name, I know many of you will, but those who don't recognize her name uh, would recognize uh, she, her her trade. She had this her trademark. I would say glacier blue eyes. So just stun. She, she was a stunning looker, and she still is. But you know, that was pretty much her hallmark. Was she had these almost pale pale blue almost. Whitish They're eyes. They're so piercing, though. That were so piercing, and that was kind of kind of uh, her hallmark. Um, but man, she started her career in 1970 and is still going strong uh, with her latest one, Investigation 13, um, that she did in 2019. And I'm looking forward to see. Uh, obviously, the COVID 19 thing has got uh, everybody pretty much locked down, and you know Meg's getting up there. She thinks she's 71 right now. She's about to turn 72, so obviously she's got to stay safe. We want her to. Uh, but we hope we get something out of her. Uh, September of this year marks 50 years in the fucking business. You know, kicking ass in, in everything. Whatever, I mean, whether it's horror or drama or even comedy. You know, she was in fucking Masters of the Universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was fucking Evil Lynn, man. Evil Lynn next to Frank Langella's Skeletor. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. I could not think of a better actress to play Evil Lynn. I was trying to, she was in what? What was the long-running TV show she was in? <laughs> oh, um, dang. She was on a... What's she it? was on Quantum Leap. I would say she was on a couple of TV shows. Oh, she did. She did a shit ton. Of, I mean, she did everything from The Twilight Zone to Cagney oh, and Oh, she was all over TV. Uh, Six Million Dollar Man. She was on Hawaii Five-0, the original Hawaii Five-0. Mm-hmm. Um, shit. Uh, but it, fuck, she was on Bonanza. <laughs> Back in the day, you know, Warrior Princess. <laughs> she, she was on the. She was on Mod Squad. <laughs> Way oh, she back was in apparently. The day. She was apparently on Pretty Little Liars for a few episodes, and then Twin Peaks for one. That was like recently. Yeah, she was also in Overlord and Jeepers Keepers Three. She she was one of the better parts of Jeepers Creepers Three. Um that movie, what, what it lacked in effects because, unfortunately, the budget on that one got slashed quite a bit before the effect. And so they pretty much came out of the effects. That um, was such unfortunate, so unfortunate because one and two were so good. But she was one of the better parts of that. I, I mean, she hasn't lost her step at all. And so her bringing her, her nuanced, the nuanced characterization she brings to everything that she does was so welcome to see that. You know, and... I love that she still does it because she fucking loves to do it. You can tell. She just loves to fucking make movies. So, really love seeing that she's still going strong. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, very cool. Very cool. So, a happy birthday to the legendary Meg Foster. We love you. Happy birthday, Meg. Happy birthday. And, and Eugene, you've got our next one, right? Oh, yes. The man, the oh, myth, yes. the legend. <laughs> Machete himself. <laughs> May 16th, 1944, Danny Trejo. Jesus, that was the year World War II ended. It was it was close to it. Hey, you know, his his career his career has just spanned it across 
so many so many movies so many fun characters and i like how people kind of initially started casting him as like a bad guy who would think of movies like say like con air and then he can turn around and start being the fun good guy like with machete like people start rooting for him and he's just he's become this favorite among fans and he loves doing he does huge big movies like heat all the way to little fantastic films like uh, Spy Kids. Exactly. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was. It was. Uh, it was. He he'd been working for a long time, and I've it seems you know he played a lot of convicts, a lot of people behind jail. Uh, you know he he himself. You know we're not, we uh, we don't want to speak ill uh, ill of his past, but obviously a lot of people know that he was a convicted uh, criminal. He did his time behind bars, and now he. He, he's an incredible actor. He, I mean, he's an awesome character actor. And I think he it was Robert Rodriguez who really blew him up and gave him the opportunity to be the badass that he is instead of just, you know, pigeonholing him into these, you know, the guy behind the bars or the guy who's in a cell or the guy who's being arrested or, you know, whatever like this. He could have been stuck in those roles just given his look, given his natural look, all of his tattoos, his history. He could have been stuck in that. But he went the Charles S. Dutton route. Because Charles S. Dutton was the same way. You know, Dutton was a hard head. He did time. He had you know had a rough uh, upbringing, but he turned it into something amazing, which is the the legendary career that Charles Dutton has had. Danny did the same thing, and I think we got to thank Robert Rodriguez for giving him that shot. I think it was in um, El Mariachi. Uh, yeah, Rob- Rodriguez's first movie, was right? It? I because I think he gave uh, Trejo a shot in that. And then that turned into um, that turned into like Dust Till uh, Dawn, Desperado, Desperado, yeah. Desperado, because <laughs> he was the the knife throwing motherfucker. all those knives. Yeah, all the knives in his fucking jacket. But I gotta give him, I gotta give him some props because as of recent, because we can talk about all his past stuff all the time, and he's got some great moments. There was this one movie he did where, with Kyle McLaughlin. I cannot remember the name. But it was a sci-fi movie, but he, it was a little a little spot that he had in it. Um, Kyle McLaughlin was an alien, was playing an alien who was partnered with a cop. <laughs> but and there's a scene, and they're, they're and the aliens in town trying to track down another bad alien that's escaped and is on planet Earth. So this alien cop is teamed up with a human cop. They're trying to find this alien bad guy. And the alien bad guy, like, assaults the the police station. And there's this one quick shot of a bunch of prisoners in a cell. And the only one who you can make out, the only who's standing up with his hands on the bars, is Danny Trejo. <laughs> and he has, like, one line, and it's like, hey, what the fuck about us? And then, boom, they all get shot and they die. This shit is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> but, um... But look at his recent stuff. I mean, if, and I don't know if you guys have caught his turn on the Flash. Oh, I haven't seen it. He was really good in that. Um, I don't want to spoil that. Uh, obviously, his turn on Sons of Anarchy was fantastic. Um, it, you know, X Files when he was on. I, I don't know if you caught his X Files episode. I do believe I've seen that one. No, excellent stuff. I love the fact that he he's been able to go from the kind of gang banging. Uh, Cholo to one of the, I think the most res- one of the most respected actors character actors in Hollywood today that he really made made use of his opportunities and a lot of people you know had a lot of you put their faith into him and you know thanks Robert Rodriguez and of course he holds a very very awesome record in Hollywood 
Oh, yeah, he does, too. It Go on. I believe it's what, the most on-screen deaths? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> most on-screen deaths, so he's died the most on-screen? Yes, Danny Trejo <laughs> holds the record for the most on-screen deaths in Hollywood. So he gets fucking killed a lot. A lot. Even more than Sean Bean. <laughs> By like a large margin. So, um, <laughs> what was it? It was uh, it was Buzz Bingo with the help of IMDb and Cinemorgue. They did a big tally of the on-screen mortality rate of the world's top actors. And actor you know, Danny Trejo has the most on-screen deaths of anyone in Hollywood history. That's insane. That's an awesome record. <laughs> Yes, uh, 65 on-screen deaths. 65. <laughs> so he gets killed in, like, yes. all of his movies. And guess who he beat by five deaths? Who? Christopher Lee. Oh! Christopher Lee, Christopher Lee and, you know, he, when he, he passed away, but Christopher Lee had 60 on-screen deaths. And yeah. I think beyond that, it's like Lance Hendrickson has 51, Vincent Price has 41, uh, tied with Dennis Hopper, also 41. Boris Karloff also has 41. John Hurt has 39. Bella Lugosi has 36. And then Tom Sizemore, 36. And Eric Roberts, 35. So, so Tom Sizemore does get killed. <laughs> he really does. Tom Sizemore gets killed a lot. You know, who's, you know who shocks me is not on there? Sean Bean. Yeah. Huh. Why is Sean Bean not on the most deaths? Not in the top of the most deaths, but I don't know why. But Danny Trejo, the, you know, the star of Machete. <laughs> the, Mex- the Mexican himself leads Hollywood with 65 on-screen deaths, and he is still not done. That fucker, <laughs> he has still got shit coming out. He He's going to be really good at it when he gets to that point, though, because he's done it so many times already. You know Angela met him? Well, oh, really? Yeah, Angela was doing work uh, several you know, several years ago. Um, Angela was working for Eddie V's here in, uh, here in uh, Uptown. And just it, it, they hope that Eddie V's, you know, was upscale seafood restaurant, and they they hosted celebrities all the time. Fancy. You know, fucking Tony Romo's been in there, Ralph Lauren's been in there, Ed Tuttle Jones, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, Mavericks, all these cats show up all the time. But there was one day when this dude comes in, um, five foot six, you know, kind of just rough looking Hispanic guy, and Angela was the closest was with the closest to him. Was like, holy shit, that's Danny fucking Trejo. <laughs> and so Danny walks in. He's Hello. wearing fucking he's wearing fucking jorts and a ta- and a wife beater, and it has his hair pulled back. And I think he I think she said he had a hat on. But anyway, he comes in. He's like, "Hey, you know, I'm wanting to get a table." And of course, Eddie V's like, "Fuck yeah, yeah, absolutely." Yeah, yeah, they didn't say that, but they're like, "Yes, come on in." They set him up. He's like, "Okay, fantastic. Set up the table. Get like I have some more people coming. Um, while you're setting it up, I'm going to go across the street and check out the gym." So he like left. The reason he came to Eddie V's that night, and my and my wife got to meet him, was because another local joint, Nick and Sam's, would not serve him because of his dress. Oh, <laughs> because he didn't meet dress code. That sucker for you. Wow. Which I think is bull. Which I think is bullshit. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, she she got to meet him. You know, their loss was her gain, and she said he is just absolutely the coolest dude you could possibly meet. That's like all the stories I've heard because he he does so many cameos and so many actors talk about him that he's one of the nicest guys to work with and he's just just downright cool to hang out with. Yeah, and if you're listening, Danny, 
thanks for <laughs> thanks for going out there and serving the meals to the healthcare workers. That was Dude, really that super was cool. That's awesome, wasn't it? That was super cool. That's super awesome, man. This yeah, guy, just out there. He's so slinging tacos. He's fucking next level, man. Everyone, should, I mean, it's just strive. The example he sets, the work he does. Um, he has a cameo in Jason Mewes' first uh, first directorial directorial debut. Um, uh, I think it's Madness in the Method. Was a uh, yo? Know, sure. Everyone knew Jason Mewes. He was Jay from Jane's on the Bob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He recently directed his own his first movie. He directed and starred in his first movie. So cool. Jason Mewes is really trying to step it up and really forge forge his own career. And he recently did his directorial debut. It actually was a pretty decent movie. Um, it's a, you know, it's <laughs> it wasn't Zack and Mary make a porno. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's basically basically it tells the story. It, it's the fictionalized version of Jason Mewes, pretty much being shut down in Hollywood because of his character Jay. Right. And so that's what he's dealing with. And it's kind of like the trials and tribulations of Jason Mewes because he spent so many years solidifying Jay that now he can't be anything but Jay. And he's trying to branch out and be take on more serious roles. Nobody takes him seriously. Down deep, he blames Kevin for that. But he doesn't really ever voice it because Kevin's the mouth. Kevin Kevin's the guy who always talks. And... You know, just the, it was a really decent look at his life. Well, Danny Trejo had this cameo in it, and he's fucking amazing. <laughs> because when we see him, he is walking around in character with this feather boa on and dressed, dressed like a very flamboyant gay man because he is method acting to for a gay character he's going to be playing in a movie. So everything he's saying is extra, is extra, is like just you know too Wong Fu gay. Is like it was like it was just giving just and just giving sage advice to Jason Mewes, and then when everybody walks away, no one's around, that he pulls Jay he pulls Jay in, and then there's classic Danny Trejo. Like you flip a switch, and you tell you, you tell me anybody fucks with you, I'm gonna cut their motherfucking hearts out. And I was like, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> so just little bits like that, he jumps in, and I've heard I've heard story after story of how supportive he is of all other actors and talent in the business. I yeah, I would hope to work with him one day. That would be fun. I would sweet. love to work with him. Love to. And so definitely once again, happy birthday, Danny. Yeah, happy birthday, man. Happy birthday, Mr. Trejo. Machete. 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 They're doing another one, Machete Kills in Space. <laughs> yes. <laughs> dude, dude, did you see him in Badass? Because <laughs> uh-uh. he was in the he was in the Badass trilogy. It was based off of Ec- the Epic Beard Man. No, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Okay. So you okay? You, uh, Alex, <laughs> okay. Alex, are you familiar with Epic Beard Man? Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. No. Okay. Epic Beard Man was this video. You can look it up. It, it, it was a viral video about this old white guy with a, this big white beard who was on a bus and he gets into a fight with this young black dude who's who they they, they got into a verbal argument. The young black dude, you know, got pretty heated and he stepped to the old white guy. And the old white guy looks like a fucking brick shit house. Grand okay. Torino. <laughs> and so and then the white the, the old white guy jumps up and just beats the living shit out of the out of the young black dude. And so that became known as Epic Beard Man. Because he was epic. He had an epic beard. He really is his epic white beard. Anyway, years <laughs> later, that that went viral. Years later, Danny Trejo made a movie called Badass, which is basically he was Epic Beard Man and he's beating the fuck out of just assholes all over his all over his neighborhood. <laughs> totally then they made that. a sequel. Then they made a sequel 
with Danny with uh with Danny Glover. So it was Danny Trejo and Danny Glover called Badasses Two. But it was Badass Two, Badasses. And then they did a third one, <laughs> which was Badass Badass Three, Badasses on the Bayou. <laughs> Strongly what? recommended. Great fucking shit. It really is. I'm shy shit you not. It's really entertaining. I'm definitely gonna Good watch stuff. that tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Oh, buddy. Oh yeah, definitely. Danny Trejo, the man, the myth, the legend. Just, just I don't, I I don't have words. Just he's yeah. he's just he's awesome. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps up another episode of Week in Horror. And always, 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 thank you so much for listening. We wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for listeners like you. We greatly appreciate it. If you'd like some more info, check out our website, weekinhorror.net. You get past episodes there. We have some bios and all this other kind of stuff, so that way you can check it out. Uh, we're always looking for feedback, comments, questions. If you're just like, hey, I got nothing else better to do, then definitely shoot us an email, weekendhorror at gmail.com. That way we can talk with you and on emails we like, maybe we might read them on the show. Maybe, maybe, you know, talk about that a little bit. As always, you can listen to us in anywhere you can listen to podcasts at Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple, Google Podcasts. And then definitely, if you like what you hear, check us out on Patreon on slash Weekend Horror, right? We added a new $1 tier a couple weeks ago where you can get a shout out. But we also have a couple other tiers. And if you subscribe to our Patreon, you get our bloodbath, which we talked a little bit about earlier in the episode, where we use our horror expertise and we battle out two horror icons to see who would win in a fight to the death. And then also we do our After Dark, where we have our celebrity guests come on and we just chat with them. Chat about horror films and stuff that they've worked on and just get to know them better. So all Patreon subscribers will get those one month early. So definitely check that out. And then also check us out on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash weekendhorror for our daily splatter. So you get a daily dose of a little bit of horror knowledge. And we also do the same thing on Twitter at weekendhorror on Twitter. I'm Alex. I'm JL. And I'm Eugene. And we'll see you next week. And as always, stay scared.